John chapter 3, verse 1 through 16. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, I truly, I say to you, Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from. And where it is going, so is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Nicodemus responded and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know, and testify of what we have seen. And you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The Lord be with you. I love that story. I identify with Nicodemus. Not the sneaking around at night part, but the asking questions part. I think that's interesting. But I don't know if you noticed this, but like most people who came to Jesus, Nicodemus didn't want a miracle. Nicodemus wanted an explanation. We know, he said to Jesus, you are a teacher from God. We know because we conclude on the basis of our perception and our logic. We see the signs and so we know. Strangely enough, Jesus doesn't seem to take that as a compliment. Nor does he seem to want to ease into the conversation with small talk. Because Jesus comes right back to Nicodemus and says, no one can see the kingdom of God, unless he has been born again. I mean, maybe there was chit-chat between those things, but the Gospel of John doesn't say so. 
So not surprisingly, Nicodemus has a question. He's like, I don't get that. What do you mean? But Jesus just repeats pretty much the same thing and expands on it. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see, nor can you enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Jesus says that phrase, born again, four times in four straight sentences. Now, repetition means everything, as you well know. What's the, up with this? Well, imagine yourself Nicodemus now. You've come all the way over there. You've asked a question. You've asked for clarification. Are you getting frustrated yet? When other people came to Jesus, Jesus almost always gave them what they asked for. Sight for the blind, speech for the mute, freedom for those who were possessed. All Nicodemus wants is an explanation. But Jesus knows what's in Nicodemus' heart. So he gives him not what he asked for, but what he really needs. Jesus doesn't just give Nicodemus information or a new idea. He gives Nicodemus an invitation to a new reality. When Jesus tells Nicodemus he must be born again, he doesn't tell him how, as if being born again were something that Nicodemus could do for himself. Jesus tells him something much more important. He tells him who. The presence and the power for the new birth is the third person of the Trinity the birthing spirit. I'm going to say that again. The presence and the power for the new birth is the third person of the Trinity, the birthing spirit. Nicodemus was a great teacher of Israel. Jesus isn't being sarcastic when he says, and, and the, the definite article almost says, you are that teacher of Israel. Jesus acknowledges that Nicodemus is a famous teacher. So, when Jesus names the Holy Spirit as the giver of life, Nicodemus might have reflected on the Genesis creation story. He might have thought, ah, the Spirit hovering over the water. Or he might have thought about David's prayer in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Or he might have thought about countless other places where the psalmists and the prophets talk about the Spirit giving life. But Nicodemus is standing or sitting right there face to face with Jesus and he doesn't put the pieces together. So we can almost feel Nicodemus' frustration and intensity when he says to Jesus, how can these things be? I need for you to make sense of this for me. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, the work of the Holy Spirit is power and freedom and life for you to receive not a concept for you to comprehend and control. He is moving Nicodemus completely outside his construct. Jesus is exploding Nicodemus's paradigms. It's like that children's poem, Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I, but when the trees bow down their leaves, the wind is passing by. When Jesus uses the metaphor of wind to talk about the Holy Spirit. He isn't just making a word play on the Greek and Hebrew words ruach and pneuma, which mean breath and wind. You've heard this before. 
He is doing a word play. But more than that, he's telling Nicodemus how it is that the birthing spirit works. A long time ago, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> I became acquainted with a doctor of obstetrics and gynecology. And one day in a fraught conversation about infertility, he threw up his hands and looked me right in the face and he said, oh, we know a lot about making babies. We know what happens when life is conceived and we know how to put the parts together but we can't make it happen. Now that was a long time ago, but as far as I know, that's still true. Just like money can't buy you love, knowledge can't create life. So what does it mean to be born again? That's a much uh, bandied about phrase in the Christian world and maybe even in culture in general when people talk about negatively, especially about religion. What does it mean to be born again? Well, Jesus says very clearly that being born again means material purification. He says born of water. And we could unpack that forever. I won't even start. And he also says that being born again is spiritual conception wombing and birthing by the Spirit. I think it's fair to say, as I think Nicodemus would have said, that is absolutely beyond our comprehension. I mean, I can say that. I can look up the theology on it. I can do the Bible study. So can you. I still don't know what that means. What does that mean? I don't know. We can't see the Holy Spirit, so how can we know? Jesus says the wind blows wherever it will. So it is with the work of the Spirit. When we see the evidence of his movement, we have reason to believe the Spirit is working to create new life. The work of the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ in the beginning with four actions, calling, awakening, conceiving and then birthing new life. The Holy Spirit calls in many and marvelous ways. I love this action of the Holy Spirit. He calls through people, through music, art, theater, drama, games, films, nature, dreams, memories, as if Something or someone is calling, reaching out from the great beyond, enticing you away from the mundane and towards some beauty or some joy that we can't see and we, we don't yet know. Some people feel the Spirit's call in suffering, just a longing for wholeness and health and home. Some people feel pursued by the Spirit, hunted, almost annoyed and made angry by the Holy Spirit, just keeping on after me, after me. Can I quit thinking about God? Well, maybe not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll have to see. I know a man who heard the Spirit's call in prison. It was a beautiful story when he told me. He said, it was night, and I looked up, and there were the stars, and I knew it was God calling me. However, 
whatever method, uniquely designed for each individual, the Spirit is calling us to God himself. And the Spirit does more than that. He awakens. Jesus said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he, the Spirit of truth, will guide you into all truth. He will testify about me. This awakening is the part of the Spirit's work that moves us beyond just spirituality and begins to move us toward Christ. In a way that only the Spirit knows, he somehow opens minds to the idea of new life. Even when you don't have the language, just to the idea that there could be something better. And then he opens our minds to the idea of mercy and forgiveness and love, especially through Scripture and through the story of the gospel. This is why it's so important to invite people to church, even people who aren't religious. Just, just come, you'll like the music. Just come, you'll think the chandelier is super. Just come. Because hearing the word of God, hearing the word of God, being exposed to it, even when it's done in a very pedestrian way by an old woman with white hair, you know, it's still the word of God, still, truly. We don't say the word of God, thanks be to God, for nothing. It means something. And so the birthing spirit uses that to prepare the person's heart and will to receive Jesus. Calling, awakening, and then the actual work of conceiving and birthing are also the spirits. When God wants new life to begin, it will. We see this most dramatically realized in the most famous pregnancy in history. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Well, Mary says, and how? Because I'm a virgin. She doesn't object. She just says, you know, I just one little thing here. And listen to, what the, listen to what the angel Gabriel says. It's so easy to piss mass over this, but listen to it in the context of the birthing spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's such a visual image to me. I just get that right now. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary's pregnancy was the work of the birthing spirit. Over and over and over, I could read you dozens of passages where the Word of God says, the Spirit gives life. Jesus said that. The Spirit gives life. In the will and the timing of God, comprehended only by God, the Holy Spirit conceives and gives birth to new life. In theological terms, we call that regeneration. You may know that term. Regeneration is obvious what it means. The gift of grace that just flows out of God because he has life and love infinitely. Just think of that. Infinite life, infinite love. In regeneration, the birthing spirit supernaturally and immediately delivers the person from spiritual death to spiritual life. Whoo! <laughs> you know, unfortunately, we don't always know when it happens, so we're not able to, you know, celebrate. But I can say... What scripture says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
All those who receive this grace are of human parentage, of course. Only Jesus was not. But even though we are of human parentage, when the Spirit conceives new life in us, we are born again as children of God. That's why Scripture refers to Jesus as our elder brother. He's the firstborn. He's not the only, an only child in the sense of never being any others birthed by the Spirit. Now, at this point, I want to make three points, and I want to make sure you understand them because these are really important. When you start talking about these concepts, people can like, yeah, yeah, we've heard this. But three things I think it's important. First of all, being born again is only the beginning of the Christian life. I'm not trying to talk about the whole Christian life today. You don't have time. You wouldn't sit here. Over time, though, in the person's life, the Spirit will guide through sanctification, through perseverance, through glorification. And there will be more about that in this series, more sermons to come. Stay tuned. But for now, we're talking about the beginning. Secondly, then, the Holy Spirit works in various ways, but never, hear this clearly, never according to an established checklist or a predictable timeline. I think it's important to understand the Spirit of God deals with each individual uniquely. Well, gosh, I guess I didn't really get saved because nothing happened to me when I went down to the altar. How many times have I thought that? Duh. Wake up. I guess, you know, I guess I, they're not really Christian because they don't dunk people to baptize them. Come on. How much of that nonsense are we going to let cripple the church before we finally realize that the Holy Spirit deals with each individual uniquely? I don't care where you go to church. I don't care what faith tradition you're a part of. The Holy Spirit is the one who's giving you new life. If you're a Christian and, and you can think back to when you became a Christian, some people can, some people can't, you will likely have no idea of everything that got you to that point. Well, maybe church, maybe Christian family and friends, maybe a stirring sermon, maybe something you read or saw or heard. But whatever it was, the calling, the awakening, and the regeneration is from the Holy Spirit. So if you're already a Christian, and I'm assuming many of you are, is this just like a history lesson? What happened to me? No, it isn't. Because there's a world of other people yet to be reborn. Think about it. I mean, maybe right here, certainly out there, certainly in your neighborhood, certainly among your friends, your fellow students, your employees, your whatever. The Holy Spirit is swirling all around. Like, he never stops. He's always swirling. So be open. How do you do that? Well, pray, Lord, I'm open. <laughs> you know, I'm open. Because maybe the Holy Spirit will catch you up in someone else's birth story to be a part of calling them, to be a part of awakening them. I'm going to tell you, that's thrilling. Even if you never see the end of the story, you never see the contract signed, you never see the person as a Christian, just be a part of the beginning. I call that being a part of the midwife team for somebody else's new birth. Just being a part, call the midwives, being a part of the midwife team for calling for people's new birth. But now I want to say something. If you're not a Christian... And I'm, I, I wish we were online today, and I know we're recording, so perhaps this will, but especially to people online, but even to you as well. I have good news. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to wait for some, something specific to happen to you. In fact, I think it would be entirely appropriate for you to make the first move. 
Just say to the Lord, I don't know what this is all about, but you know, I'm interested. Or I'd like to know more. Or I'm ready for whatever you got. And if you do, I have no doubt that God has already paved the way for you to come to him. I don't know how the Holy Spirit will reach out to you. I have no idea. I'm not sure how he reached out to me. But I can tell you this. Christian or not Christian, God loves you. And he wants you to receive everything he has to give you. And that's a lot. And that brings us to the third truth. So, birthing is the first part of being a Christian. The Holy Spirit deals with us uniquely. And thirdly, how do we receive all this? We receive it by faith. So here's the big question. How does faith happen and when does it come? Like, and, and here's the good answer. It's impossible to be specific. Not possible. It's not like a neon sign now has faith. You know, faith on aisle three. No, it's just you don't know. You don't know. All of a sudden you're kind of questioning and the next thing you know you're like, okay, I don't, I'm not worried about that anymore. We know, though, that faith is God's gift. He tells us that. It's not anything we achieve or attain. It's nothing you study to get, believe me. It's nothing that study will destroy, believe me. It's, it has nothing to do, it is completely apart from intellect. Faith is not an intellectual activity. It's not an emotional activity either. Let's be clear about that. The Spirit gives faith and He awakens faith. But at some moment in the awakening process, in some way, at some time, faith becomes effective when the person stops turning entirely in on himself and starts turning, even if it's just a glance, toward God. Someone said to me one time, I'm just not ready to say to God, I'm, I'm ready. And I said, well, can you say to God, I'd like to be ready? I'd like to want to be ready? You know, I'd like to want to be, to want to be. You know, you can, you can back up really far. God sees you. You back up all you want. The Lord sees you. You see, accepting faith, accepting the new birth doesn't mean signing on to a set of propositional truths. That's so important. Well, I'm not sure I agree with everything in the Apostles' Creed. Move on. Jesus doesn't say, here's a piece of paper, sign on. Are you going to get there? Yes, you will get there if you become a Christian. You'll get to the point where those things don't trouble you. But that's not where you start. And accepting new birth doesn't mean working up a bunch of tears and emotion. I'm not a very emotional person. I grew up, or I was at first a Christian in a holiness church. Buddy, they wanted emotion. I just don't have it to give. You know, I'm running dry here. I don't do the crying thing. I just don't. That's just not who. So, you know, does that mean I'm not a real Christian? I've had people say that. But get off of that jag. If you're, if you're emotional, it, love it. If you're not, that has nothing to do with new birth. It's not, a, it's not a necessary contingent. And thirdly, accepting new birth does definitely not mean initiating a transactional relationship with the Lord so that God is your co-pilot. As one of my friends used to say, if God is your co-pilot, you're sitting in the wrong seat. You know, that's the thing. See, you're not, we're not making a deal with God so he'll make life better. We're not making an emotional exchange so that if I get worked up enough, I must be getting religion. And we're not signing on to a list. You may not know when regeneration happens. In fact, I suspect you, you will not. I certainly did not. 
but the results of regeneration are plain to see. Being born again means change. You'll notice it in yourself, and people around you will notice it. I don't mean like all at once, and I don't mean, you know, it's going to be huge. I mean, it will, however, be perceptible, even if it's small, even if it's little. When we are born again, we turn around and we start living in a different direction. New life is not ours to achieve or attain. New life, eternal life, is the gift of God, given in his will and his way. And at the heart of it is Jesus. Just as Moses, was lift, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. That's what Jesus said about himself long before the crucifixion. This has got to happen, he said. And the reason it's going to happen is so that everyone can have eternal life. Being born again, receiving eternal life, entering the kingdom of God, however you say it, those all mean the same thing, is possible only because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Only because Christ was exalted on the cross and in heaven. He died so that we can live. It's just that simple. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Would you just be willing to say with me, hallelujah? Hallelujah. Woo! Okay, now, so what happened with Nicodemus? What happened with the, I, I like a story that comes around in the end. Well, let's, let's do that. Not everybody agrees with what happened to Nicodemus, and of course only God knows for sure, but as the wind blows, I think we can see some evidence of the birthing spirit. You know, Nicodemus first comes to Jesus at night. A lot of people make a big deal about like he was trying to be secret. No, he wasn't. Nicodemus was a big guy. He was a big man. He was important. And he was fabulously rich. You'll see how I know that in a minute because the key to his riches are key to his witness. You'll see it in a minute. But Nicodemus didn't travel around at night like a teenager with a hoodie on. No, he had a retinue with him. He had an entourage. He had people with him. He came to Jesus for an uninterrupted conversation, not likely to happen on the edges of the temple steps. He says, I need your attention, and he's used to getting it, of course. He's a big man. He's a big man in town. Nicodemus was a part of a very small group of people who were the ruling elite. He was rich. He was a Pharisee. He was an aristocrat. His family was aristocratic. So he was a big deal. He didn't come to Jesus as a big deal, though. He comes to Jesus with a question. But by the end of the story, as Joel read it, Nicodemus has faded off the page. We don't even see him anymore. We don't see him say, well, see ya. Didn't get what I was coming for. Talk to you later. We, don't see, we only see Nicodemus two more times in Scripture. The second time we see him is very interesting. It's when the Pharisees were conspiring to seize Jesus and condemn him to death. And only Nicodemus is quoted as raising an objection. He says, wait a minute, guys. Doesn't he deserve a hearing? He, he actually plays, the, plays the, the Justice Department card like, you know, let's do this right. Now, we can't tell from that whether Nicodemus was a Christian or maybe he was sympathetic to Jesus or maybe he just liked to be a rule follower. But we have him there standing up for Jesus. Wait a minute. And they, the other Pharisees make fun of Nicodemus. They mock him and disregard what he says. He doesn't say anything else. But the last time Nicodemus appears in Scripture, 
we learn something about him. This is what the Gospel of John says in chapter 19. After the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen, as was the custom. Now that much spice would have cost a fortune, and it would have required several servants to carry. They were carrying Jesus' body and 75 pounds of different spices. The burial ritual had to be done before dark because the Sabbath was about to start. So regardless of how he settled his questions or how deep his faith was at this point, I believe the way he honored Jesus shows Nicodemus born again. For he made his allegiance to Jesus very public that day and gave Jesus a burial fit for a king. I believe Nicodemus was born again and changed. The Nicene Creed, which was adopted by the Council of Christian Churches in the year 381, the only authoritative ecumenical statement of the Christian faith, includes this profession. I invite you to stand, if you're willing, and say this with me. After the creed calls for belief in God the Father and God the Son. This is the third strophe in the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Seated or standing, it doesn't matter. Go ahead and be seated. Most people are. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to pray. <laughs> Holy God, giver of life, we honor you and worship you. We pray your continued movement and blowing throughout our lives. We pray that as you will, you will make us a part of the birthing story for those around us. We will celebrate our own rebirth. And Lord, we will continue to come to you in life eternal. Amen.